Well, over the last couple of weeks, we've been walking through a series. And that series is entitled, Say Yes. And you know it comes right out of a passage of Scripture that we've spent a lot of time in. It's a, a brief verse, a short verse. And yes, I am going to quiz you today on that verse. John chapter 14, verse 15. Now, I want us to say it together, all of us. And I'm not going to give you the first part of it this, this day. Today, you're all on your own, okay? So I want everybody to wake up, sit up, speak up, and let's together quote God's Word. John chapter 14, verse 15. What did Jesus say? Okay, stop, 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 stop. Hang on, let me just make sure. Just want to make sure that I come out here real quick. I know it's dark out here. Okay, I just want to make sure you guys are awake. Okay, I just, I couldn't see because it's dark out here. Okay, let's try this again. John 14, verse 15, right? Okay. If you love me, keep my commandments. That's what Jesus said. He said, if you love me, obey me. If you love me, do what I tell you to do. If you love me, obey what I say. We've heard it today. We heard it in the video a little while ago that we will be known by our what? Our love. We will be known by how we love others. We'll be known how we show love to one another. In fact, today, one of the passages that we're going to be looking at is where Jesus said those very words. There is no doubt, there is no question that love is something that we as followers of Christ have to be identified with. Now, you know we've talked about the importance of love. In fact, next Sunday, we're going to dig into 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and really talk about what love is. And here's why. Because we live in a culture today that has redefined the word love. They have taken love according to what God said, and they've made it something radically different. They've transformed it from something that is beautiful. They've transformed it from something that God gave to us to something that God actually was an example of in the way that He has treated us from the beginning of time. And they have cheapened it. They have made it something that can be tossed away, thrown away. It's not important. It's not a big deal. You don't need to worry about it. Next Sunday, we're going to dig into 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we're going to find out what does God say that love is. And it's a perfect transition for us here at the church as we've been talking about this idea, if we love Him, then we need to obey to keep His commandments. Now, we've been walking through what that looks like. And last week, you know, we started talking through the the idea that if we're going to truly understand what it means to obey Him, if we're going to understand what it means to really follow Him, that there's some things that we have to put in place. Now, I want to read a passage. We read it again last week. I want to read it again here today because I want us to understand, make sure that we get exactly what it is that Jesus is telling us, giving us in the passages that we're talking about. Now, this passage is found in Matthew chapter 4, beginning with verse 18. And it says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them, and immediately they as well. They left the boat and their father and followed after him. Now, there's one part of this passage that I want to kind of zero in here just for a moment. And we go back in this passage, it says, when Jesus spoke, he said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. In other words, he gave us a very clear picture that this was an ongoing effort, that this wasn't an instant moment. He didn't talk to Peter and Andrew and say, listen, follow me, and you are immediately fishers of men. In other words, 
follow me and you'll have it all together. Follow me, everything will be perfect. Follow me and you will be exactly what I intend for you to be. That is not what Jesus said. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I will create in you a desire, create in you a passion, create in you a pathway for you to become all that I, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, intend for you to be. Now, Jesus spoke those words to Simon, to Peter, to Andrew, to James, to John, and he speaks those to us as well. Follow me, he says, and I will create in you, I will make you, I will create you to be all that God intends for you to be. The only thing that can stop us from being all that God intends for us to be is us. It's you, it's me. We are the only things that can stand in the way between being what God has intended for us to be. And so we've been talking through what this looks like as a a faith walk, as we follow after Christ. When Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments, we've been talking about, okay, so how do we in a practical way do that? Now, obviously, there are about 400, if you kind of walk through the New Testament, about 400 commands of Christ that that were given during his time on earth and then also echoed through Paul and through others and the writers in the New Testament, about 400. And they all kind of funneled down into about 50 different categories and 50 different things. Obviously, we don't have the time to walk through all of those commands. But it's a good opportunity for maybe you to go and do some study on your own of what the commands of Christ are, what those things look like. About 400 of them, about 50 different categories. We've been following and talking through kind of this really important picture. We started, if you remember, Matthew chapter 22, when Jesus said these words, what's the most important commandment? He said, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. The picture of we need to be people who love. That we need to be people who recognize our duty and our responsibility as followers of Christ. Now last week, we talked about how we kind of, we, we walked that through. Uh, what are the practical aspects of that? And we talked about how the important, that we need to go to church. That we need to be part of the body of the family of Christ. Of recognizing that we're all part of the body. That we all have responsibility within the, the body. That we all have duties within the body. And that we need to actually create in ourselves a desire to fulfill what it is that God has called us to be within the body of Christ. We talked about how in today's culture, in today's world, so many people say, you know what, I don't need to actually go and and be part of that organized thing called the church. I can do it on my own. I can sit at home and watch a YouTube video. I can study on my own. I I can do this whole thing all by myself. The problem is, is that Jesus and the Old Testament, New Testament teaches that is not accurate that we actually need to engage and be a part of something that goes beyond who we are. Remember we said a couple of weeks ago, or last week, Jesus said that where two or three are gathered in my name, there I will be in the midst. Guys, you missed it in the 11 o'clock service last week. I actually sang in the 11 o'clock service last week. Yeah, I did... I just thought about that. I was talking about that very thing about where two or three are gathered in my name, and I... I, Well, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to do that again. That was a bad thing in my history. It'll show up somewhere, I'm sure. But anyway, we recognize that when we come together as the body of Christ, as the family of Christ, it makes a massive difference in the world. You cannot do that on your own. You cannot do that by watching YouTube. You cannot do that by studying on your own. Now, listen, all of those things are important. I shared with you last week, I love listening to sermons. I love listening to J. Vernon McGee. 
In fact, where's, where's Jim? Right over here. I got an email last night from Jim Lemon. Sent me an email probably about 10 o'clock last night. You were up late last night. And he sent me an email and shared with me how there's this, this device out of J. Vernon McGee. Oh, this is it. Is it. You have it? Is that it? Let me see that. I'm going to buy one of these things. So this is all 1,300 lessons that J. Vernon McGee all the way from Genesis all the way through to Revelation, and it's all right here. You can carry it in your pocket, and it's solar. You don't even need batteries. How cool is that? So he sent that, that email to me last 10 o'clock last night, and this is so important to continue studying God's Word and to find other resources that we can help us as we walk through and learn the, the picture of who God is and what God wants to do, but it is not a substitute for coming together as the body of Christ and sitting in a room and worshiping together and praying together and serving together and doing life together and growing in our faith together. You cannot sacrifice this for that. Now, we talked about the importance of that. We talked about making sure that we're growing. Now, today we want to continue that conversation, continue talking about how last week we said, man, you've got to go to church. You've got to grow in church. And today what we're going to talk about is two other things that we need to do as it relates to the local body, the local assembly of believers. And the first one is this. Yes, we need to give to church. We need to give to the church. Look what it says in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. Jesus speaking in this passage. He said, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, you Pharisees? Hypocrites, Jesus said, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the most important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Now, this was a deliberate statement that Jesus gave. And the reason he gave this was because he was talking to the religious leaders, the Pharisees, or as he put it very clearly, the hypocrites within the church. They were so focused on doing like one little specific thing, one little area, being very deliberate in that area, but avoiding, ignoring, and walking away from all of the other things that we need as followers of Christ to obey, to do, to carry out. Now, it's an interesting thing. You read this passage, and of course, the the main thought that you walk away from is that Jesus said, listen, you're so worried about giving your tithe, but man, you're missing out on justice and mercy and faith. And that's the area where we really kind of dig in on this passage and, and understand what Jesus is saying. But do not miss this. Jesus said, you should tithe, yes. You should give, yes. Now, the natural question that comes right out from this The idea, the passage that comes out of this is just simply this. So what do we give? What is it that we give? Now listen, you go through and study Jesus' teachings, and you'll see that in all of his parables that he gave, about half of them deal with money. There are about 800 places within all of Scripture that talk about money. We know the Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. And so we come back to this idea then of what is Jesus trying to say here? What is it he's trying to give to us? So what do we give? Do we give money? Well, the answer is yes, we do. Look what it says. You should tithe, yes. Now, let's go back and just dig in on that word for a moment. The word tithe. It goes back to the root word, which literally does mean a tenth. And you go back to the Old Testament, and and they were all the way back from the very beginning of time, uh, even, uh, that they were instructed to, they were told, all the way back to Abraham, they were told to give a tithe of all that they were all their increase. And it had to do, of course, from that time, by their crops and, and all the things that they were growing and their, their gardens and their, their, the things that they were planting. They had to give a tenth. 
In fact, if you dig a little deeper, and of course we don't like to dig a little deeper here when it comes to this kind of thing, because it actually wasn't really that they only had to give a tenth of all they had, that they had to give a tenth. It actually goes through that they had to give a tenth on several different occasions. In fact, if you kind of draw through and you kind of bring the conclusion, everything that the Old Testament gives us, the picture kind of is this, is that they might have even had to be required to give up the 30% of all that they had through the year of all of their increase, of all their crops, of all their giving. Now, so when we talk about the tithe, which literally does mean a tenth, it does change the narrative, doesn't it? And so we recognize and understand that the tenth, that was the Old Testament tithe, that a lot of people, and I know tomorrow I'm going to get emails and letters from people, the tithe is for the Old Testament, it's not for the New Testament. Okay, Jesus said you should tithe. Okay, take it up with him. But just put it out there. It's all, there's my, I just answered your email right there. It's all good, okay? But here's what I believe. I believe according to God's word, and we're going to dig into this in just a few moments, that it's not like we have to come down to this like what the Pharisees were doing, where they were actually like very deliberate and counting out every single little piece of fruit and every vegetable and everything that they grew. And they actually kind of gathered it together, all their herbs, and they gathered together and they counted one for you, nine for me, one for... That is not the picture of what Jesus intends for us to do, to be, when we talk about giving. And so what do we give? Money? Yes, but not just money. We also recognize, according to God's Word, some other things we have to give. We have to give our time. We have to give our abilities. We have to give our hearts. Go back to what this passage says that Jesus made it very clear. He said this, yes, you should tithe, but do not neglect the more important things. Now, you will never hear a prosperity gospel preacher focus on the last part of this verse, ever. But, you know, when Jesus said, yes, you should tithe, but don't neglect the more important things. As a follower of Christ, here's what I believe with all my heart. Giving to God is important, but it is not the most important thing that we do when we walk with God. It is not the most important thing that we must do in our faith. It is not the most important thing that we must do in following after Jesus. You watch some of the preachers on TV. You watch some of that prosperity gospel stuff. And you would think that's the only thing that we have to do when it comes to following after Jesus and walking in our faith. And that is nothing but a perversion of what Jesus said. Jesus said, give, yes, but don't neglect the more important things. Time of giving of our time to the church. You saw this morning this incredible team that was on the stage. And we come together every week and we sit here, we worship with this team. These guys on the, the front line and those who are singing on the sides and the instrumentalists who are playing, the orchestra that's back there just doing incredible things with violins and all the other things they play. And then you've got this choir. Man, the greatest choir on the face of the earth. Now you look, come here, we walk in here, we worship with them and we celebrate. We love what they do. But we have to recognize that what we see on a Sunday morning is not the first time they've seen each other this week. Because they have to work and give of their time to be able to do what they do here. They get together on Wednesday nights and they practice. Uh, the team gets together during the week and, and they, they talk about how to, to, to put all this together. And they talk about the songs and they make sure that they fit in with what we're talking about, where we're going, the direction. I mean... Hours and hours and hours are given of the people on this stage to lead us in worship. Today I could walk you out into the parking lot and I could introduce you to some people out there who have been here since about 6 o'clock this morning on a cold Sunday morning. 
At 6 o'clock this morning out here setting up cones and setting up visitor signs and, and making sure that people know where to go when they get here. And they're giving of their time. I could walk you over to the nursery right now. And some of you who have little babies, beautiful little babies, and they're being cared for by the wonderful people in the nursery. And they are giving of their time to take care of your kids. The story could be told a thousand times over. You could walk through every hallway. You could walk out into the lobby. You could walk down to middle school and high school of people who are giving of their time to make a difference and to impact the lives of people and to help this church be what God has called us to be. All of us have a duty and a responsibility to give of our time. You've heard us talk about life groups a lot. You saw in this video the importance of the life group. and That life group made a difference in her life when she needed it the most through the loss of her husband. You talk about, man, I don't need a life group. I, I don't need something else to do. I don't need something else on my schedule. Yes, you do. Yes, you need it for you. But let me tell you something. You need it because God wants you to use your time perhaps to bless someone else. When she was going through that time with her husband, her husband was nearing death. Every person who was part of that life group, who showed up, who, who helped her, who lifted that equipment, who came alongside of her and prayed with her and, and took care of them. Let me just tell you something. That was giving. And that's what Jesus very clearly said when he said, don't neglect the more important things, talking about justice and mercy and faith. Yes, we have a duty and a responsibility to give. It may be that you say, I don't need that, but God needs you to do that. Because that is our requirement. That's our responsibility. Jesus said, listen, yes, give. But you can't just get away with your faith by dropping a dollar on the offering plate and think all is well. No, no, no. Don't forget the more important things. We've got to do it all. Giving of our time. Giving of our abilities. Giving of our faith, our hearts. Look what it says here when he made that statement. That you're neglecting, ignoring the most important aspects of the law. Justice, mercy. And here's this last one. Faith. In other words, the word faith. They were neglecting their faith. They were following the rules by putting the offering into the plate. But they weren't actually digging into what John 14, 15 says. If you love me, obey me. So we make it very clear. Yes, we have to give. We have to do. We have to do what God has called us to do. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6-9. Paul, writing this passage, said, Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop, and you must each decide in your hearts how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all that you need. Then you will always have everything that you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. So here's the question. How much do we give? Here's where the argument, the conversation comes in. So do we give a tenth or do we give more than a tenth or do we give less than a tenth? What does it come down to? Here's what it comes down to. How much do we give? We give generously. And that passage very clearly tells us, let us purpose in our own heart, determine in our own heart what generous looks like. Now, some of you are sitting there saying, well, okay then, so, so the Bible gives me permission to decide how much I'm going to give. But see, here's the problem. The problem is sometimes people use that as a crutch. They use that as an opportunity of getting out of giving generously because it says purpose in your own heart, determine in your own heart how much to give. So therefore, I'm going to give just a little bit. What did Jesus do with that, 
woman, that widow who came and gave the two mites, right? He said, this woman has given more than anybody else here. Why? Because she gave so very much. She gave generously. Now, I want to make sure that you understand clearly the passage that I just read, the passage that I just shared. We talk about this idea of purposing in our own hearts. You go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, roll back a chapter, and in that passage it says that we should give in proportion to what we have and not what we don't have. Now you go back to what we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and it says this, don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Now here's what I believe firmly in my heart. That when someone gives out of pressure, when someone gives because a preacher stands up here and tells you you've got to give and pushes you to give and makes you give and you give and you're like, I can't really do this, I shouldn't do this, but I'll do it anyway, that is not honoring to God. It's not honoring to God for me as the preacher to put that pressure on you and it's not honoring for you to respond that way. God's word says don't give reluctantly. Don't give in response to pressure. And that is why you will never hear me up here ever pushing and pushing you to give and pressuring you to give. Do I give you opportunities to give? Absolutely, because I know the blessing that it is to others and the blessing it is to us. But you don't ever hear me up here pressuring you, beating you over the head to give. Why? Because that's something that has to come from the heart if it's going to be done the right way, both from here and from there. It has to be done the right way. Last week, we took up the offering for the Gideons. Man, what a great ministry. Raised over 11, 000, about $11,000 for uh, the Gideons last week. What an amazing pick. You talk about how many Bibles will be purchased and will be put into the hands of people all around the world as a result of what we did here last Sunday. Back in December, you know, we took the offering up to minister in Bolivia and Guatemala and Haiti and in Burundi. And we had a goal of raising about $100,000 because we wanted to, to minister in all four of those places. Man, I'm I'm thrilled to be able to tell you that we went way over that goal. We raised about $140,000 in two weeks' time above tithes and offerings here at the church in order to minister in those places. Sergio, who baptized this morning, he went to Bolivia the end of December. He went over there and he spoke in the camps there with the kids that we were ministering to, that we talked about. And do you know that in one week's time, we had over 104 salvations in that camp as a result of what took place here in two weeks when people giving. Kingdom impact of making a difference, making an impact to people around the world. So how much do we give? That's your thing. That's something that you get alone with God and you pray about. What am I going to do? God, what do you want me to do? Now, I believe in sacrificial giving. I do. But I do not believe in sacrificial giving to the point where it actually takes away from what you've got to have the duty and responsibility of taking care of your family. And I believe God's word bears that out. We've got to make sure we understand and recognize, yes, we have to give. Yes, we have to focus. We have to give in proportion to what we have. Yes, we've got to make sure that we're not only giving of our money, but giving of our time and giving of our talents and our abilities, giving all of those things. Yes, 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 and yes. And how much do we do? You do whatever you can do so that at the end of the day, you have a smile on your face and a smile on your heart because you've made a difference for the kingdom. That's what giving generously is all about. So we've got to give to church, absolutely. So we've talked about, man, we've got to go to church. We have to grow in church. We have to give to the church. But listen, we also have to make sure we do this. We have to go from the church. Now, real quick, full disclosure, I'm not telling you to quit the church, okay? When I say go from the church, what that means is going out from here to change the world. Look what the scriptures say in Mark chapter 10. 
Verses 42 and following. So Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials, flaunt their authority over those under, uh, under them. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for, money, uh, for many. So, go from the church. So, how do we go? How do we do that? Well, listen, we've got the most amazing example right here. It says, whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. So, here's how we do it. Three ways. Number one, in humility. We go from the church in humility. In other words, we don't go out from the church to go out either serving here or serving somewhere else or ministering somewhere else, acting like we are better than everyone else. We walk out in humility. In verse 42, it says that uh, Jesus said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. Listen, when you go out from the church and you have an attitude of arrogance, an attitude that you're better than everybody else, that you have more knowledge than anyone else, you are dishonoring the opportunity that we have to serve God in the world. We walk out and do it in humility. We don't lord it over. We don't go out like acting like we have authority over everyone else. We do it in humility. And here's what that is. That's the second point. We do it in contrast to the world. Look what Jesus said here, verse, uh, verse 43. But among you it will be different. In other words, Jesus said, yes, you need to go and serve. Yes, you need to make a difference. Yes, you need to reach out to help people who are hurting. Yes, yes, yes. You do it in humility, and you do it different than the world does. The world loves to give, and the world loves to serve as long as people notice what they're doing. The world loves to make a, a positive impact in places around the world where there's tragedy and where there's heartache and where there's heartbreak. The, the world loves to help there as long as they get credit for it as long as people talk about them for doing it, as long as they get elevated, put on the pedestal because they've been such a good person and making a difference. And Jesus said, but the church, you guys, listen, it will be different among you. That's not the way that we do things. Man, we give of ourselves. We serve. We do it in humility. We do it in contrast to the world. We do it thirdly with Jesus as our example. And what did Jesus say in verse 45? I, uh, the Son of Man, came not to be served, but to serve. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. That one sentence, that one statement is one of the most pivotal statements that we could ever find in the Scriptures for what the church of Jesus Christ is to be like. Because how many times have we heard it said when people come into church, they walk into a place like this, and they walk out of here feeling like they've not been ministered to. They walk out of here and feel like, you know what, that didn't meet my needs. I, I didn't get fed today. They walk out of here mad because someone sat in their seat mad because someone took their parking place, or, or maybe upset because the, the people out there who were giving their time in the parking lot said, you know what, we're saving these spots for our handicapped members. We're saving these spots for our visitors. Why don't you park down below? And we get upset and we get angry. We walk in here, we maybe had to walk a little bit further on a cold morning, and it messed up our hair because the wind was blowing. Or maybe when it's raining and you got a little bit wet, you see, we have to recognize we do things with Jesus as our example. And Jesus himself, the one that we come here to worship, Jesus said, I did not come here to be served, but rather to serve and to give my life as a ransom. To give my life as a ransom 
for others. Look what it says in the passage of Scripture in John chapter 15, verse 12. Jesus said, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I've loved you. There is no greater love than to say or to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command, I no longer call you slaves because a master does not confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends. And since I've told you everything the Father told me, you didn't choose me. I chose you and I appointed you to go and to produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. And here Jesus said it one more time. Love each other. So how do we measure our impact? How do we measure how we're doing in our walk with God? In relationship to everything we've been talking about, like how do we evaluate how we're pulling it off, how we're doing, the walk that we've been on? Are we doing well? And Jesus gave us right there the picture of how we evaluate. Here's what he said. He said this, you will produce lasting fruit. What is lasting fruit? That's kingdom work. That's lives that have been impacted. That's 104 kids in Bolivia who have come to know Christ because of our giving. It's how we recognize people in our community who are hurting that we minister to. People like over at the Brentwood Park here in town that after the tornado that we went over there. Steve Perkins and, and Sergio Guardia and, and all of our team, man, went over there and they just gave and gave and gave of their time and they built and they, they I mean, amazing things that went and the impact that's taken place there is unbelievable. People have gotten saved. People have gotten baptized as a result of what took place after the tornado. You may have seen the story a couple of weeks ago when Hilda, sweet lady who, who, who lost everything in that storm over there, talks about how that it was a gift that what she went through because now she's able to actually recognize God at work. She's able to minister to others. We actually have a, a group that's meeting over there. And in fact, we're even talking about going over there and actually starting a church right there in the middle of that, uh, of that Brentwood Park. Why? Because we want to make kingdom impact. How do we evaluate what we do? Jesus said, are you producing lasting fruit? Now, I want to ask you a question. We've been walking through for the last couple of weeks. If you love me, keep my commandments, Jesus said. Jesus said here, if you love me, love others. Love them the way that I've loved you. And then, as a result, produce lasting kingdom impact, kingdom fruit, lasting fruit. So here's a self-evaluation question for every one of you here today that you can look deep down inside and ask yourself a very important question. Am I producing lasting fruit? Am I having and making kingdom impact in my community? Is this community better off because we're here? Not just simply in an economic way, not just simply in a helping out way, but in a kingdom way. And if not, then we've got to change things. We've got to turn that around. Because Jesus just didn't simply call us to be good people. He called us to be godly people. David Manning, a member of our church, sent me a letter this week, and he gave me a great quote that I want to give you in conclusion today. Talking about obeying the kingdom, obeying the commandments of God. Here's what David said. He said, obedience is the outward expression of a heart that is turned towards God. Obedience is an outward expression of a heart that is turned towards God. Question, 
has your heart turned towards God? Father, thank you for your word. We want to take this opportunity to thank you for joining us here today. You know, at Thomas Road Baptist Church, since our very beginning, back in 1956, we've been about one thing and one thing only, and that is to bring the message of hope that comes through Jesus Christ to the world. And today, my friends, we recognize we live in a world that's messed up. We live in a world that's full of division and conflict and pain and sorrow. But Jesus came to this world not to bring division and sorrow, but to bring joy, to bring peace to bring hope. And today that's the message that we want to share with you. And if you're watching this and you've never had the opportunity of, of connecting with him at that level, of understanding what it is that Jesus came to do, then I encourage you and I want to let you know the greatest news you'll ever hear. And that's this, God loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. In fact, he gave his only son, Jesus, to come to this earth, to die on the cross, to pay for your sins and for my sins, to do for us what we never could do for ourselves. What an amazing gift that really is. God loves you. Christ died for you. But three days later, he rose again. And when he came out of that grave, he gives us victory over sin, over Satan, over the grave. He gives us the hope for eternity. But according to God's word, it's very clear. What we must do is believe. We must believe that Jesus is the son of God. We must believe that he died and that he rose again. And if we do that, according to Romans 10, 13, anyone, that means you, it means me, it means every person that has ever lived, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so I encourage you today to recognize that hope that comes through Jesus. And if you've never trusted him as your Lord and Savior, do so today, believing that he is who he said he is, that he did what he said that he did, calling on his name, and it'll change everything. That is the message that we share. It's a message that we want to take to the entire world. And today I would encourage you to connect with us, maybe even financially through a gift that you can help us to take this message around the world. I encourage you today to stand with us as we stand with truth, as we stand with hope to let the world know God loves. Thank you.